Welcome back to another episode of Rael Talk, the podcast where we talk about concepts and philosophies and ideas relating mindfulness, movement, and meaningful connection. I'm joined today by Debbie Steingesser, who is one of San Francisco Bay Area's very famous yoga teachers and strength and conditioning and CrossFit coach. We are talking today about her background as a dance person, a radio show host, and about functional yoga for athletes and how to bring more recovery and greater recovery to your workout. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Okay, so welcome to the show. Debbie Steingesser is there with us today. Um, Debbie is a incredible yoga teacher named like one of the top yoga teachers in San Francisco Bay Area and is a CrossFit coach, a mobility teacher, a Sanskrit extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> you, you are the host of many hats, Debbie, in the movement and wellness sector. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Happy to be here. Um, you and I met briefly like for less than an hour in 2018 <laughs> um, at a meeting that I had organized at the Google campus for different yoga teachers that were working for Exos at Google. Um, and, and there we just realized that we actually have a lot of friends and teachers and common interests. Um, people like, I think we talked about Jason Niemer and Jenny, um, Saul David Ray and Sean Korn and like all the other, you know, people from the Bay Area, like we know and have worked with. So it was so surprising to me to not know you already. <laughs> I know that was so fun. I yeah. was like, how are we not friends, at least on the internet? <laughs> now we have definitely surpassed that. I feel like, um, you know, I follow you and your wonderfully sweet Bernadoodle dog and all of your escapades in the Bay. And I feel like I definitely... I definitely, if we ever had the chance to just hang out in person, like we were, we are, we are automatically friends. <laughs> totally. Totally. And my Bernadoodle is sitting probably staring at us behind us. So she might bark during this conversation, but no worries. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to just, you know, for people that don't know who you are, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your background, specifically in movement, um, where you came from, how you got involved with all of these different modalities, um, Anything that you care to share would be awesome. Great. So I, I started moving very early on. My mom was a dancer, so she got me into gymnastics and dance. I think before I could walk, I started a tumbling class, and I grew up in that world. So I was never a competitive gymnast, though. I kind of stopped right before I got competitive and started focusing on dance, which took me through my 20s. And dance was how I discovered yoga. I had a really quirky modern dance teacher in upstate New York at Brant Lake Summer Dance Camp who cooled down the yoga classes with, or the cooled down the dance classes with yoga. And we did this maybe 10, 15 minute yoga practice. And this was way before yoga studios, like in the mid 90s. 
Um, and then I, when I was in college, I rediscovered yoga in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places, at an actual yoga studio when I was doing my internship. In I worked in radio as well, so I was doing a music industry internship at Saddle Creek Records, which is in Omaha, Nebraska. So Omaha Yoga was my first yoga studio experience, and I, it was the reason I even took classes because there weren't any dance classes that I could find after work. And so I was like, oh, well, I need to do something. And so I was like, oh, hour and a half yoga class is perfect. So I got really into it. And then after college, I started a very regular yoga practice in Massachusetts where the teacher said, you know, if you want to really get into this, you have to go to California. Like yoga was invented in California, <laughs> the way that we experience it in the West. And so I ended up in Northern California. I got a job in San Francisco. And I did yoga on the side and danced on the side for a long time. And my last quote real job was for a magazine called Common Ground Magazine in San Francisco, which still exists. And it's a wellness pub publication. They do a lot in the yoga world. And they supported me through my yoga teacher training. I was able to work still for the magazine and do yoga training and go to all these yoga events and conferences to represent the magazine. Then I started teaching yoga on the side. And in, I think it was in 2008, I got laid off from the magazine. And I was like, well, this is like the best thing ever because I want to just teach yoga. So I was like, if I can support myself on yoga after my unemployment runs out, then I'm going to, then I'm going to make this work. And so I, so I did. And I started teaching full-time in San Francisco in 2008. And then shortly, well, not shortly, I did that for, I did that for at least four years. And then in 2012, I discovered CrossFit and at San Francisco CrossFit. And I was primarily just an athlete there. I had no athletic experience prior. It was all like dance, yoga, gymnastics. Um, so there was a big learning curve. And then I, I got really into it. Uh, and through that, spent tons of time with Kelly Starrett, who created Mobility Wad. And so shadowed him for a long time. I got my CrossFit certification, my mobility certification, and it kind of all snowballed from there. So. Oh my gosh. So you literally like little East Coast <laughs> dance girl, like picked up the bags, like went and pursued the yoga mecca of San Francisco Bay. And now like you're the shit. Oh. <laughs> I mean, really like you're – your background is so extensive with all of those different modalities. You're plugged into so many different places and types of, you know, micro modules in this field. Like you, you certainly know so much about how to move the body. And how I love the word micro module. That's, I, I love that. <laughs> so um, I want to know, how you've made it work in San Francisco. Cause I think one of the things we, we both are doing well is holding space as teachers, like actually continuing to be present in classes and teaching, but we are also, we share in common this like kind of knack for media and presence and like other types of events or venues. So, like part of your literal story is that you were able to provide for yourself as a yoga teacher. Like, tell me, tell me how that shook out. <laughs> Cause that's, <laughs> that's a big question mark for a lot of specifically yoga teachers, but 
coaches, fitness trainers, I mean, especially in the Bay Area where it's just astronomical living expenses. Totally. Yes, for sure. And I was, I was really, really lucky, as I said, to come into it from Common Ground Magazine because when I started teaching, I was already really connected not only to local studios that I was practicing at, and they knew me really well. They were also my clients for the magazine. But some of these big festivals at the time, like that was when Bhakti Fest was starting and when Wanderlust was starting first years. And they were also my clients. And so I was one of the first teachers at Bhakti Fest just because I knew them. And, you know, I was probably not the best teacher at that time, but, you know, I just, I was, I was, I knew them. I knew them when they got started. And so people, a lot of people threw me a bone and, helped me a lot along the way. I had really good mentors. I trained with Saul David Ray down at Exhale Sacred mm. Movement in Venice when that was a studio. And that was when Sean Korn and Shiva Ray and Denise Kaufman, Eric Schiffman, mm-hmm. all those people were teaching regular weekly classes. And I was, I was able to observe their classes, assist their classes. Wow. And it was kind of a different time. I've talked about this with a lot of teachers recently. It was a different time in yoga where the trajectory was you went to teacher training and then you assisted and you apprenticed and there was a lot of that work before you actually taught. And so I felt like when I actually stepped into a classroom to taught to, to teach, I was ready to teach because I'd been around the body. I'd been around so many bodies. When I assisted Saul, there was like 200 people in the class. So when I was teaching my first classes at Bernal Yoga, there was three people. It was like, okay, I can do this. No problem. So so, so I had a, I had a good base, but at the same time, I will say that I'm just naturally someone who can juggle a lot. And so at the beginning, when I was teaching 16 classes a week and I was running from Bernal Yoga to Yoga Tree to Valencia down to downtown San Francisco at Satori, I think about it now and I'm like, what on earth was I thinking? I had these deals with the parking attendants where I'd park my car right away and I'd like throw them the cash and then run up to the studio and they would just park my car for me. It was really, it was really chaotic, but I was able to do that because I could manage that kind of schedule. I think a lot of people don't understand how much running around there really is, especially getting started in a city like San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, everybody's, everybody's teaching something or it's just everybody wants to be doing what you're doing now wait you said something that really stuck out to me you said I'm really I've been really lucky to have these connections and I've said that myself in the past and people have asked me as well Mm -hmm. like wow you know it just seems like you just like you know woke up one day and had the stars align and (laughs) oh I believe in that and I want to say yes like you can call in luck and just Mm -hmm. naturally navigate your way through the universe I think there's more to it than that because no matter your background you you and I both have a media background right I was an editor for a food magazine that was kind of plugged into wellness and yoga as well I didn't know that I want to hear about that more (laughs) Um, it's like a franchise throughout the whole United States edible magazine but that word lucky I feel like maybe it's our type of personality or whatever, you know, our star signs are, it it requires connection and connection Mm -hmm. isn't something that just happens. I mean, there's definitely a, there's definitely the possibility that you're just like a very magnetic person. People are attracted to you or drawn to your energy. And so you get like, you kind of roll through life like a wheel instead of a square. 
totally. <laughs> That's, I want to give power to that. But tell me more about forging those connections both prior to yoga and now in the industry and in the field it does take a lot of effort and presence and that's I think something that people want to understand how to break down into more accessible digestible like like tools and actions so that they can say one day oh, I was really lucky I got connected to these people so do you have any examples yes I, when you're speaking about this, something comes to mind very specifically. I went to Emerson College, which is a communications, media arts, performing arts school. Mm -hmm. And my, one of my very first classes at Emerson is this it's introduction to media arts. Basically, everybody goes through this class. And the teacher who's been, his name is escaping me. He's been teaching it forever and he's been there forever. And he was like, most of you are not going to make it in the industry because most of you don't have what it takes. And he's like, you know what it doesn't take? It doesn't take talent. <laughs> like he was like, he was like to some degree, yes, but it's all about relationships. And I, I really, that really resonated with me. It actually scared me at the time, but I have always been a person in everything that I do that I want to be in the middle of it and with the people that are the best at it. Like whether it's in radio and music, I wanted to be where the bands were. I wanted to be where, like if it was, I was going to a dance performance, I wanted to be backstage to meet the dancers. If it's a yoga festival, I want to be like in the teacher that I love in front row. Like I want to be studying. And so I think, I think I've always been a student and a teacher, which is the best kind, but I've really just pursued things full on. And like, even if I'm at a party, I want to like talk to everyone. And so that's just sort of my natural way of being. And then what happens is I don't even really have to ever ask for anything or apply for anything because it's just like, I just feel like I have, I've built those relationships because I'm, gen I'm genuinely in love with movement, people, music. And so I get really excited about it. I think that yeah. that's contagious like the enthusiasm is contagious yeah and the the fact that you have some rapport and existing relationships like that's connection that's it doesn't mean that you're like oh I have access to all these things it's like I know people and so it's you can navigate your way through life much more easily with more connection it can feel because I share a lot of those same same traits I want to be I want to be like the, the wingman, you know, to the master. Like I want to know what the master's doing and what the master's hanging out. It sounds egoistic. It sounds like we mm -hmm. can be really, really like self-center. Like we want to be the center of attention, but it's really, I don't think from your um, persona or from my own that that's what it is. It's just that you hit it on the head. You are so enamored by being a student that you want to know all of the all of the gritty details and to be right in the middle of the fire you know yeah and that's really that's really powerful because it put it, it enables you to to go a lot of places very quickly yeah and I think just just staying inspired for as a teacher is the most important thing because I've, I mean we've all had days where we feel really flat Mm -hmm. But if I, and I'm inspired by everything, like I use everything in my classes. Like if I go to a Dave Chang restaurant, 
go to major domo LA, like that is the theme of my classes. Like if I watch some movie or if I go see Hamilton, like I play Hamilton music for the next like six, you know, it's just, it, I, I go to a concert on Saturday night. Like that informs my teaching the next day so much. And so I think just staying around that inspiration, whether it's like people or events or things is, has always been so important to how I teach. Yeah. Being inspired by light. Well, so you teach a lot um, and you teach all over the Bay Area, but specifically one of the places where you teach that we share in common also is Google. And how interesting that you have a chance to be a yoga, primarily yoga, right? Yeah, yoga. I, I only teach yoga at Google, yoga actually. Teacher. Yeah. At Google. So tell us a little bit about, I mean teaching on a campus a of extraordinary abundance and impacting and influencing and interacting with the people who are quite frankly impacting everyone in the world you know engineers and technicians and marketing and just the the geniuses of of technology like how is it um sharing yoga with those people I, I love teaching at Google. I just love it. And I, there is such an energy I can't describe my class. So when I first took it on, because one of, so one of my students who I've had, she's become kind of a friend student. I've had her for, we've known each other forever now. And she's, she's an employee of Google. And when I first moved down South, she was like, you need to teach at Google. And I was like, it's too far. And I was like, it's too far. And then she kept, she kept encouraging me. And finally, when I did it, I was like, I get so high off the energy of those classes that I, on Wednesday nights, I drive home and my drive home is like 45 minutes. I feel like I'm floating home from, because I'm just so, I think it's the energy of the people that come to class. It's the energy of the place. It's so magnetic. And there's such a pulse there. I, I've never been to a place that feels so innately positive. I feel like a, in a corporate setting, I've, I've worked in a lot of corporate settings that don't have that vibe or feel more like offices. And this feels like, it feels like an office that has an energy like Disney or something. And so I, and my classes, it's just, it's so fun. I love, I, my, the people that come to my classes there, I feel like they really appreciate and need the yoga versus sometimes at a yoga studio, you get people who they do yoga five days a week, six days, six days a week. So they, they love it and they also need it, but it's so much a part of their routine. Whereas they feel like my students at Google, maybe they can come once a week and, or they're traveling for two weeks and then they come once a month or something. And so they come in and they're like, they just really absorb the, the teachings and the slowing down and breathing and uh, but also my classes, they're really high energy. I play good music and I kind of feed off that energy. And I, I like to say I like burn them in order to cool them. You know, it's like I get like I get the energy out so that then they can feel relaxed. And I just I have such a I have such a good time there in that in that space. It's cool to see a setting that's not a traditional yoga studio and have the yoga really happen and make an impact. Yeah, and like so in your classes, because 
it's probably easy. Most yoga teachers could probably relate to this. A lot of people who come to yoga still want, especially if they're practicing vinyasa, they still want to feel power and the burn and the stimulation and the quote, you know, physical exhaustion or, or stimulus um, so that their rest is so much more sweet. Do you find that you cater to that and then offer just a little bit of, you know, that nice extra calm and slow and quiet? Or do you find, like, what do you find most impactful for that demographic? Because in my experience, those people, God bless engineers of all forms and <laughs> places of employment, but especially at Google or in Silicon Valley, those people are stressed AF. Yeah. They're busy. They're, they're frenetic. They're going, going, going. They're super, super analytical, beautiful mental minds. I found that oftentimes giving them more of that even physical stimulus was imbalancing. So what's mm. your approach in your classes? Like what type of classes do you offer and what do you see the most return, I guess? Like what's the most popular? That's so interesting because I, I have a sort of different experience. So I, one of the, one of the first places I actually taught yoga was, is a studio in San Francisco in the middle of the financial district called Satori Yoga. And that was really where I had my first like regular packed classes, students that came on retreats. That was where I feel like I, it was just the right demographic for me. And it was all students that were coming from sitting at a desk all day on their lunch hour or right after work. And I felt like I taught a very high energy, good music flow where they didn't have time to really think until the end and then cool and then cooled. And they felt like they moved and, and breathed. And so that was a demographic coming into Google <clears throat> that I felt really comfortable with. So when I, when I got to Google, I was like, I think one of the reasons I loved it so much is because it reminded me of those olden days at Satori with, with that population. And so I have always felt like I want to move them. And cause in yoga, so in yoga philosophy, there's, I mean, this is getting pretty esoteric, but there's the Thomas and the Rajas and then the Sattva. And in a lot of schools, you know, in yoga therapy, sometimes they say like, you know, if you're Thomasic, which means you're sluggish and kind of heavy, then you should do the opposite to find balance. Or if you're rajasic, you're more energized, anxious, mind raising, you should do kind of more tamasic practices more on the other end to balance you. I've always found as me personally, an East Coast Jewish girl who has a really hard time relaxing, in order for me to relax, I have to move in order to cool and I'm rajasic. And so I feel like the practice that I offer at Google is it's a vinyasa class. It's generally an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And I would say the first part of the class is very, a, a lot of movement. And I don't mean like fancy yoga poses. I don't teach really fancy yoga poses anymore at all. I teach yoga in a very like stability based way that's focused on just like moving through shapes that are pretty accessible because those classes are totally all levels. I, there's people that have never done yoga to people who are very advanced in practice. And so I teach a, just a solid flow 
and then I cool them. And then when I'm cooling them, I try to really focus on breath and breathing, belly breathing, not because those, because that population breathes up in their chest or sitting all day, they're slumped over. So I really focus on teaching them how to breathe into their belly because a lot of them come in and they're like, I have low back pain. I can't step my foot forward because my hip flexors are so tight. So I try to really focus on, on just breath and settling once they've had a chance to move around. That's sort of my philosophy. Yeah. And I, I absolutely resonate with that. It's a very similar teaching style. Um, you know, you could put this in application anywhere if you are a, if you are a person that just loves, um, if you're trying to teach anyone something that is in opposition to their natural state or their essence, it's going to be an uphill battle, right? If I'm not a runner, but you say running is the utmost important. <laughs> then if I'm a yogi, that run better include some stretching because it's going to make me feel more comfortable mm-hmm. and in my, you know, in my capability zone. And then probably I will eventually really, really get to know the benefit of running and experience that runner's high and, and want more of it. So I think that's, that's a pretty great approach to teachings. Like give them a little bit of what they want or are used to and slowly dose them with the more esoteric, soft slowness. <laughs> just drug them. No, just kidding. Yeah, like, <laughs> anyway, so yeah. let's microdose you on yoga. Yeah. <laughs> dose them so that they understand on a physiological and experiential dimension the benefit that they're getting from those very opposing practices. And then hopefully that's something that they can eventually lean into with more you know, more particularity or like a more advanced eye, like, wow, this is so good for me. So I'm going to spend less time, maybe like, you know, vinyasa in and a little bit more time meditating and we'll see, you know, trim the fat on both ends and you get a pretty good, you know, centered person, hopefully. Right. Totally. So how does that, um, how does that type of philosophy of teaching influence your other practices? Cause you teach, you know, with Mobility Wad, it's not necessarily just yoga. You're teaching a lot of, like, different exercises and drills and probably breath techniques, postural techniques for mobility. You know, you, te- you teach CrossFit classes. Like, where do you blend – how do you blend those skills into all those different elements? I – that's a good question. I always feel – like, what you – said totally resonates about my, you know, microdosing people, but I, I really feel like that is how I teach. Like I, cause I joke that I teach strength to yogis. I teach yoga to CrossFitters. I teach on mobility what I teach everyone how to breathe. I just trick people into doing a lot of breathing work. And I, cause I think everybody, it's so easy when you're a yogi, a quote yogi, or you're a CrossFitter to get stuck in that one modality and what what I find so so interesting about the CrossFit methodology that really resonated with me was in in the early days of what CrossFit talked about it was like do everything like variance is the key and having variety in your training is so important regularly learn and play new sports challenge stimulus do high intensity, low intensity, long workouts, short workouts, different 
thing, different things within the workouts, you know, and, and that really, that really sticks with me with everything because I mean, you know, if you are a yogi and you go to yoga six days a week, you're doing, how many lunges are you doing? You know, it's like, you're doing so many. And so then people are like, they have hip things and their shoulders hurt. And it's because they're doing repetitive things all the time. They're not pulling, they're not running, you know? So I try to offer some balance in everything. And that's, that's really why I was super motivated to start teaching yoga to in CrossFit facilities in the, the first place, because I was like, wow, these people, these people, <laughs> me, I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, they're super stiff. They don't breathe. Like they're, they're going a mile and, you know, they're just constantly running around. They can't sleep. They're stressed out. And so like, obviously yoga, you know, obviously breathing, it's not rocket science. And a lot of, you know, it's so interesting because Kelly, Kelly Surratt, my friend who started Mobility Wad, he's a physical therapist and the injuries and the things that he sees are, it's pretty much the same thing over and over from, you know, it's like, oh, they're breathing into their chest, you know, their hips are really tight. So their low back goes out or stiff, so their low back goes out. And so it's, uh, it's just kind of solving the problems that are within the different systems that, I, that really excites me. Yeah. This is a very, I feel potent topic and common thread right now within the yoga realm and, and other modalities in our field of movement, like people are getting injured, you know, people, right. a lot of people um, in yoga are experiencing injuries. I just spoke with another uh, amazing teacher friend last week who's recovered from bilateral hip replacements and just horrible, wow. horrible injuries from an exacerbated approach to yoga. And right. so I think it's really, really important that we continually address in all of these classes, strength and conditioning classes and yoga and everything else, that, that lesson of variability and doing a little bit of the opposite so that you recover, you, you bring yourself back to a baseline that is more neutral than not, more adaptable than not, so that you don't find yourself either not progressing or getting injured or like kind of getting stuck in a mental rut too. Like all yoga all the time turns you into yoga mush, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Throw some, throw some kettlebell swings in the middle of your yoga class. Great. You know, stir it up. <laughs> totally. I mean, I, I think with, it's so interesting to see the trends in yoga right now because everybody has figured out the problem, but I feel like the solution is, sort of this big gray area. And I think a lot of people are trying to solve it still within the yoga studio, which is, is great and no offense to any of that. But I think that yoga is one of the only physical disciplines that exists that people don't cross train for it. Like if you do any sport, if you, you know, you play football, you play basketball, you play tennis, your training is not only playing your game. Right. And so I think that yogis need to lift weight, like, and not blocks, not blankets, not like, not pillows, not straps. Like, those things are great for yoga. And in order to create stability and have 
and be able to safely go through your range of motion, you need to be under load, especially if you're hypermobile, which most yogis who are really attracted to the practice are, and they don't even really know what that means. Right. And so it might not make their yoga practice look as beautiful and flashy, but it will make it sustainable over time. Like I, I personally have double, I have tears in both my hip labrums that I've never gotten surgically fixed because I started doing strength training and it doesn't, they don't bother me anymore. And so part of it was learning how to back off on certain things. Like I, I will never do a king pigeon again. Like that is just not something I'm going to be able to do. And I don't care because I can do everything I want to do pain-free and I can still go to yoga classes and I know how to move in a way where I'm not going to injure myself and it's going to feel good. And I can, for me, yoga is about settling my nervous system and the, the fancy poses like that was cool. I have the pictures of them. I was in my twenties and now I don't need it anymore. <laughs> so that's, you're going through my, you know, my, if I had a set list for this podcast, like we <laughs> every song based on our conversation already in terms of questions. I mean, creating a solution for this interesting new paradigm, like you said, a lot of us are talking about the problem. So let's evolve and talk solutionarily. How do we change the actual, not the actual teaching, but the presentation of what a yoga class entails or what the expectation is when you walk into a yoga asana class so that there isn't this kind of presupposed notion that yoga is only for stretchy people. I'm not flexible, so I don't do mm -hmm. yoga. It's like, okay, how many times yeah. do we answer that question? in a, in a Yeah, I know. <laughs> So what are, yeah, like how do we change the way that we teach these classes so that we can affect that paradigm? And also, um, if you want to speak to this, because you are studied in the esoteric aspects of yoga, how do we preserve the, you know, the spiritual aspect of this practice and not only allow it to become such a um, polarized physicality? You know, there's, I think, mm. something to be said for this is about your nervous system. This is about your your holistic ability to connect. It's not just about, like, whether mm. you're flexible or not, right? Yeah. What? To be honest, it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle with especially just, just Instagram and what people see right. in relation to yoga. I think that is one of the hardest challenges that we face right now is that yes, you can come into a class, myself, you, the way that we teach is different, but then you're still going to have people going on Instagram and seeing these quote yoga celebrities who might not have ever even taught a yoga class, right? right. Doing these poses and people, people want to do the hard things. Like even if sure. they, they want to look, they want the things that look cool. Even in CrossFit, it's like everybody wants a muscle up. Why do you want a muscle up? Like what's going to be different? My really good friend, Carl Pally, who's a gymnastics coach, he's always like, what's going to be different about your life tomorrow if you suddenly have the muscle up? Like maybe unlock the desire or the understanding of what, what that is to achieve this thing. Because I can guarantee you when you do this thing, nothing's going to change. And so I think being able to give people an experience of what it feels like to really breathe and sit quietly and 
chant and have an experience in their body where they're able to listen to themselves and go beyond what it might look like. I think just offering that over and over again is what, you know, what we can do as, as, you know, in our warrior position (laughs) doing this thing. But I also, I also think just doing practicing what we preach is so important too, because I can't even tell you how many yogis I've had say, I want to do what you're doing with CrossFit. You know, like, how do I do that? And just, just seeing what I do, or I want to, I want to join mobility wide or, you know, like it's, I don't want to use the word influencer, but if you show what you're doing, people like I, I just started doing an adult gymnastics class just myself. And last week there were six people that came to the class because I was doing it. Cause they were like, that looks really fun on your, you know, on your Instagram. And so I think just showing what our practice is and what it looks like and, and sharing that. And then on a, on a spiritual note, and this is just, this is just a, something that I learned recently that I think is so cool. So Krishna Bacharya, who was the teacher to Jessica Char, Mr. Iyengar and Patabi Joyce, all quote, senior teachers of different styles, you know, say what you want about them as per, you know, personalities or whatever, but, you know, did a lot as far as creating what we see as the landscape of yoga today in the West. And so Krishna Bacharya, when he was developing the physical practice that he taught, he was in a facility that was training gymnastics and weightlifting. And so like warrior two and all these things, like, why do we do warrior two? Because he's watching people squat 500 pounds next to him. And he's like, Oh, maybe that front leg should be an external rotation and the knee should be over there. You know, it's like, it all comes from the same place. So it's all essentially kind of the same thing. And then what I love about yoga is that, you know, different from going to a CrossFit class, there is this inherent feeling of being interconnected through breath, through mindfulness, through a teacher telling you, you know, you don't have to push yourself. You can actually relax and giving yourself permission to feel things rather than work towards a goal in a movement or work towards a benchmark. It's actually like, no, just listen to your body, listen to how you feel and rest when you need to. Mm-hmm. Like that is like, that's something that yoga is so, so wonderful. Yeah. There's a lot of inherent wisdom that comes with those practices. You mentioned, you know, this capability that we have, like people want to do the hard stuff. People want to do pull-ups. They want to do a handstand. Um, they want to do things that look really impressive, but oftentimes what I see and experience in classes, um, you know, I I teach acrobatics especially, so everybody wants to do the trick. People are less likely or willing to work for it, Mm -hmm. which I think is a different aspect when you get into athletics in weightlifting, powerlifting. You want to lift that heavy weight you've got to have a progressive series and put your time in at the gym so that your body adapts to be able to move that weight off the ground. But there's so much less of that maybe regimentality or progressive mindset in these other kind of like more euphoric or ethereal like practices like yoga and dance, but like Mm -hmm. dancers, dancers and gymnasts, 
you do A, B, C, D, E. So regimented. Yeah. That's why I wasn't a competitive gymnast because what competitive gymnasts do is, is not fun at all. It's not fun. And, but that's what you, but like, that's something really interesting to say is like, are you willing to do the work that does not look pretty? Are you, do, are you willing to feel frustrated and uncomfortable and tired and downright just down in your practice because you're, you are confident that you're doing the work? that will, whatever the reason is for you to try, train for a handstand, whether yeah. for the picture or for the fact that you can say, wow, I freaking just held my whole body weight upside down. And whether that's good for you or not, that's a whole nother topic. But <laughs> can we help, uh, you know, in these classes that we're offering, help create that perspective that, yeah, you're here, you're not going to master this today. And yeah. you shouldn't master it today because like, Yvonne Chouinard, the Patagonia founder, you know, in the movie um, 180 Degrees South, he says, if you are someone that's going to scale Mount Everest, but you decide to take an, a helicopter, and you're an <laughs> asshole when you get into the helicopter, you're still going to be an asshole when you get to the top of Mount Everest because you didn't go through the process. Right, right, for sure. What's really beautiful about these practices is there is a process there. It's subtle. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons I've never been someone who's taught to a peak pose mm -hmm. or anything, because coming from a dance background, it's, it, it's all about the movement itself. And mm -hmm. so I have always in my classes, I think, taught that it's, you know, just show up and move your body and feel better versus like having a specific goal. I'm, I'm not really a goal oriented worker outer or like I've even in CrossFit, like I've never been someone who maybe in the very early days I wrote down my weights for stuff, but then I short like very soon after stopped doing that because I was like, I, my body feels different. You know, we're, we get older, things change our ability to go to the, you know, right now I can go to the gym a lot before maybe I, my schedule got crazy, you know, and I think having these like expectations for ourselves, when sometimes it's motivating, sometimes it can actually deter us. It's like, oh, I can't do what I did before. So maybe I'm not going to do it anymore. And I think, I think just having people really, that's why the tools of yoga, I think are so beneficial because it teaches people to really listen to within and be intuitive to how their body feels. And I think it's good to push yourself too. Like I think, you know, I went to CrossFit today and I pushed myself harder than I thought I was going to, and it felt, I felt really good right, right now. So I, so I think it's learning how to play with that edge. Yeah. And apply it in all those circumstances. Like listen for sure. to what you need for me, I don't need more like restorative yoga. I need like kettlebell swings and yeah, because that's going to help me feel more balanced. Right. But that's the For me, I need kettlebell swings and then restorative yoga. <laughs> right. That's the wisdom that I have gained from this practice of introspection and actually like listening within. Like, what is it that I need today in this moment? And that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, okay, Debbie, one other thing that we share in common, which I'm just like chomping at the bit to talk about, is um, our passion and knack for curating like musical or auditory experiences within <laughs> classes. So I know that you churn out some pretty awesome music playlists. Um, 
and like all sorts of music is incorporated into your teaching experience. So what's something that you think about when you are putting together a playlist or you said you draw inspiration from, you know, when you've seen a concert or a show, how do you infuse that into your practice? I love this question. I wish everybody always asked me this question. No one's ever, no one's ever really talked to me about how I make my playlist. And it's honestly, I think it is the thing that I spend the most time doing out of everything that I do because as I mentioned, I, I come from a radio background, but the reason I even got into radio is because I have always been obsessed with music. And when I say obsessed, I mean like I am the ultimate fangirl of everyone ever, specifically Connor Obers. But I, but I, I love, I love music, and it's like I'm talking about like I don't just listen to a record I love and I that's cool and I put it aside. It's like I listen to the record I love. Then I'm like, okay, I'm going to call the record label, figure out a way how it, that I can work for it and somehow meet the artist. And it's like, it's really extreme. So I am a diehard music lover, which is how I got it. I worked in radio in Boston. I, I was the music director and DJ at a station called WERS at Emerson College. And then I worked at WFNX, which is an alternative station. It is no longer around, but it was one of the most incredible independent radio stations that I've ever experienced and I got to be a part of it. So that was awesome. Anyway, so when I'm making playlists, I, I, I feel like I make playlists based on a certain arc that all of my classes have, all my vinyasa, like yoga classes. I mean, I, I don't, I don't mean this for, for fitness classes per se. Um, but with, cause that's a little different because when you start a workout, it's, sort of different than warming people up. But anyway, but so with my, when my vinyasa yoga classes, I feel like I start off kind of slow and then there's a build up. There's sort of a peak of the music and then it starts to go back down into, and it ends in really slow mellow, which I, the end of my playlist is always like the hardest part for some reason for me. Cause I can, I all, I've, I know the first song and usually it, it is, something that I'm listening to a lot or like a new album I'm obsessed with that I have one song that becomes sort of the, the start to the playlist. And then based on that, I play around with different things and I, I'm influenced by a lot of different things. Like if I'm making a playlist on Spotify and I see the people on the side, like what they're listening to, I'm like, Oh, maybe that would fit in. And then I'll, I'll throw that in or I'll listen to my discover playlist or I'll go back to old playlists because there's usually like a solid six songs that I want to play and then I fill in the rest based on what, what sounds good. And I try to always, I try to always have different kinds of music, men and women, vocalists, something spiritual, especially towards the end. I, I sort of always default to like Jai Tal, who's mm -hmm. my teacher and good friend and Krishna Das and sometimes Wa or something towards the end. So it's, sounds more yogic, but, but I, yeah. And then I try to, I try to have like something more classic, like Etta James or Billie Holiday or Nina Simone are go-tos. And that is, that's sort of how it happens. But like I went to, I went to a concert on Saturday night. I saw my friend Bant from Omaha called Closeness. They're amazing. They're so amazing. You should all go listen to them right now. Closeness music in all capitals. Um, but so they, so, and then the next day I taught a Mother's Day yoga class. And so I 
so I knew I wanted to put them on the playlist and then that sort of shaped the whole, the whole playlist. So. And do you get a lot of feedback about, you know, people enjoying their audio audio experience in your class? Most all of the time people, that is the first thing people talk about with my classes. I'm like, Debbie has the most amazing playlist. Nice. And that's like the most, that's the feedback that I get most often or people will come up to, people will even like shout out to me in class, like who is that, who, you know, who, like what is that or where can I get your playlist or do you sell your playlist? Every once in a while I get someone who's like, that is not yoga music. And I'm like, the reason I think it's yoga music is because the intention that I put into it is so authentic and so genuine and it would not be my particular yoga classes without it. Like, it's not like I just throw music I like together and show up for class. It's like I, I spend so much time thinking about how the class is going to flow. And I will sometimes take songs off too. If I use a playlist, I'm like, Oh, that wasn't the right thing at that time. I'll, I'll edit it. So I always get really frustrated when I take someone's class when there is music where I just feel like they hit play on something and they play music because they think they should. That's like the worst kind of class to me. Yeah. In my opinion, it would be better to not have a, a soundtrack. To not have music. Exactly. Yeah. Some detail, some thought, because it's, it can drastically augment or dissolve someone's experience. I try to not use a lot of, um, like, actual words. I use mostly instrumental music, a lot of electronic, a lot of ambient, a lot of more like, you know, mantra, some reggae, acoustic, like classic stuff too. But it's, yeah, there's an art for sure to modulating someone's experience, not so that you're you're in control of their experience. You're going to listen to this song and you're going to like the lyrics that I chose and the sounds that I thought were really, you know, important for this particular part of the class. But to just offer it as like a curated part of the experience, as if you're in an art museum and you're having your own experience of taking in the art, but there's something in the background that really like augments or creates the right container for that bigger experience to happen. And I think that's something that you, you have done very well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, just to speak to that really quickly. Like I, I recently had dinner at Momofuku Co in New York, which is one of Dave Chang's restaurants and it's like his Michelin star restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an expensive place to eat. Right. And you walk in and it's like, they're playing, like old pavement super loud and the music is really loud and it's really specific and I sat down at the bar at this restaurant and <clears throat> excuse me and I was like this is Dave Chang's music choice like this is what he chose to play like it was so clearly his playlist that went with the food and I don't think everybody would necessarily like it but it was so it's like you're going to his restaurant just like you, know, you go to someone's house for dinner, you're not like, oh, that's maybe not what I would have liked for dinner, you know? Right. Um, it's like you kind of, there is within teaching, I think you have to, and I, I try to give this, it, this feedback to newer teachers too. Like you have to, you have to be yourself mm. when you're teaching because people will, people will gravitate to you as you 
And maybe some people won't, and that's okay because you don't have to be everybody's teacher all the time. But if you're not excited about what you're teaching and what you're sharing and the music and the flow and whatever, like, how are your students going to be excited about it? So that's, yeah. And that's always been my feeling. <laughs> I had actually one of my Google students who was a um, – what type of music? It was like heavy metal something or other. Like I don't know the actual subgenre. Um, description but he approached me on multiple occasions he's like do you ever consider teaching like heavy metal yoga (laughs) because I think he he came from maybe one of the Carolinas or Asheville or Nashville or somewhere that I just say like you're from that part of the U.S. from the south somewhere And he experienced that type of class or maybe that's what he likes to code and engineer and do his work to. And I said, you know, it'd be really, really an interesting challenge for me to create a class based on that type of music because I don't resonate with that type of music, nor does maybe my type of teaching vibe with it. But it would be, I'd be open to the challenge if you could guide me to like some of your favorite bands or musicians. And I, I had a listen and I was like, yep, definitely can't take on that challenge. It was really, <laughs> really too much for me. But again, possibly for that person and his cohorts that enjoy that type of music, if it puts them in the right mind space that they can just zone out and breathe and more power to you. Like definitely I want to see a heavy metal yoga class on the Google calendar at some point, you know, in the near future. Just there for sure are. And when I started teaching in San Francisco, there was a lot of punk rock yoga and you know it's like people are into that stuff because if you're if you're into punk rock like I would love to go to punk rock yoga I mean I I would love to see what that is and I love punk rock so but yeah maybe not everybody's everybody's taste (laughs) that's so funny well so um before we kind of wrap this up I wanted to just hear you are on a teaching tour-esque right now for your functional yoga for athletes class or seminar. And this is coming up, I know, like this coming weekend. And it's, just tell us a little bit about what that is, because it's a pretty interesting program from my perspective. Yeah, thank you. So I, I developed, it's called Functional Yoga for Athletics, and it came from it came from basically my experience teaching yoga within CrossFit gyms and working with sports teams and coaches who lead, who lead athletes in various modalities. And so I, after a long time, I was like, you know, a lot of coaches want to offer this, but they don't want to necessarily go through a 200 hour yoga teacher training because they don't really want to be yoga teachers. They want to be able to have the benefits of the practice in an, in a way that's accessible to sorry, all the dogs are freaking out <laughs> um, and have things be accessible to the populations that they're working with. So it's set up a little bit differently than a yoga class would be in a yoga studio per se. So what I did when I developed the seminar and I, I created the seminar, it was exactly three years ago, I started building it and it was initially going to be a CrossFit specialty course specifically for CrossFit uh, for CrossFit athletes. And then I broadened it and I started working with Mobility Wide specifically because it's not necessarily just for CrossFitters. It's really for anyone that may not necessarily have a yoga practice to be able to implement it in a way that's accessible and sustainable 
and teach many different bodies at once so that they're kind of tools and they can do something that's five minutes at the end of a class or they could teach a half an hour hour-long practice as a recovery practice so it's really teaching coaches and athletes how to kind of implement it so I've I've now been teaching it I usually I try to teach them once a month it generally happens to be once a month or once every two months so I have gone all over the country teaching them and I'm actually about to do my first one outside of the country in September in Hong Kong and Singapore, which I'm super excited about. But it's a full day seminar. It's open to everyone. It's 9.30 to 4 p.m. And you basically learn how to teach yoga in a day, basically. I mean, it really is such a, such a kind of crash course. Um, and everybody comes to them. It used to be, when I first started, it used to be athletes and coaches. And now I get, I get yoga teachers who are interested in teaching more in athletic facilities. I get firefighters, military, just a lot of people that work with their bodies and want to figure out how to do that more sustainably so they don't get injured. That's so much. Yeah, making it available to the masses for safety more than, you know, and like we talked about earlier, maybe hopefully those people eventually could take a teacher training and have right. And that totally happens. That I have so many athletes. Yeah, let's empower people. Early yeah, to have like understanding, awareness, and safety as you're moving through these things and sharing them. I would rather that happen than just say, "Oh, please don't do this." People are going to do it. People are going to take it. People are going to teach it. People are going to share it. Let's teach it. Right. right. And I think that's so smart. Thank you. Yeah. And I just, I, I've really thought that, you know, yoga has, I've seen yoga really benefit that population. And I also see that population not necessarily going to a yoga studio to buy a membership. And so, you know, maybe they, maybe they look on YouTube and they see whatever and they just do it because they think they should versus like having things that are really going to benefit their training and help them come back training stronger. That's really what I what I try to focus on. That's great. Where can yeah. people find information about your upcoming events or anything that you are offering and teaching? So my personal website is yogiwad or debbiesteingesser.com. They're both the same. My name is Steingesser, S-E-I-N-E-S-E-R, Debbie with an I-E, two B's and an I-E. Yeah. Uh, so, and then yogiwad is just yogi and then wog workout of the day so that's um you'll be able to find my uh my instagram is at debbie steingesser i post everything that i'm doing on there that's probably the easiest way to follow me and then in order to or if you want to sign up for a course or find out when my courses are coming up those are through the mobility wad platform so that's mobility and then also wod.com so you can look at my course schedule and sign up register on there and if you if you DM me on Instagram, I will give you a discount code for a seminar if you if you're interested. Oh, nice. So, okay, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll, uh-huh. we'll definitely send people your way, and I'll include I'll include that information in the show notes so people don't have to furiously write it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. I know my um, my last name is a tough one. <laughs> Debbie Guesser. You you perfected it right away. I was like, you're the first. When I, whenever I order food or I make like a restaurant rec, uh, reservation, they're like, Stein, what? I'm like, 
I'll spell it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for just taking the time to have a conversation and catch up. It's been really fun to get to know a little bit more about your background and and dive into, you know, these concepts um, and ideas that are relating, you know, movement with meaningful connection. That's kind of the whole premise of the show. So thanks for just like nailing it. <laughs> Oh, well, thank, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. And I love all the things you're doing and media and movement. So it's really, it's really great. Thank you so much, Britta. Yeah. In the future, we'll have to collaborate on an event or a training. We can just geek out on all this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, that would be so fun. Then we can actually hang out. <laughs> Yeah, and if for those of you that are listening, if you're in the Bay Area, please go and take a class with Debbie or do a workout or, or maybe just meet up for like a dog walk. Um, she has an incredible Bernadoodle and lives in Santa Cruz, California. So if you're down there, don't be shy. <laughs> oh, and you, you can follow Indy too. She's at Indy the Bernadoodle on Instagram, I-N-D-I-E. That's, that's the most important thing. She needs, she actually really needs more followers. Awesome. So we can get her like sponsored and stuff and then we won't have to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Put the onus on her. Yeah. Oh man. Well, thank you so much. I, I um, hope to see you and chat with you again really soon. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Britta. I really appreciate it.